listening to the Energy Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Plant. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Energy Policy Podcast is a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. Jeff, last week we were talking about the changing legislative landscape with the November elections and also a little bit about the legislative schedules. This week we're going to look back at last year uh, and see what we can learn from some of the trends in legislation that was passed last year. Um, You know, one of the things you mentioned uh, last week was that a lot of legislatures didn't meet or they met for a very short session. And, and I guess that has a lot to do with the reduced number of bills that we actually saw this year. I think it certainly did. And, you know, that's a reoccurring theme. So in even years, there are eight states that don't convene their legislatures for full sessions. Uh, four of those eight have budget only sessions and the other four don't convene their legislatures at all. Uh, so it's not surprising that uh, in an even year, uh, there tends to be just simply you know, fewer bills introduced. And that's certainly what we saw uh, this past year in terms of energy uh, policy. And if you're listening in and want to sort of follow along, go to aeltracker.org, uh, click on Trends and Analysis, and uh, there will be a PDF document there, 2014 year in review that you can download for free. Uh, and that's really going to form the basis, Tom, of the highlights, I think, that we're going to talk through yeah, today. Yeah, and we'll have a link to that at the policypodcast.com uh, site as well, where uh, we have all of these podcasts. Um, so you mentioned that it's a, it was a shorter session or, or a limited session last that's year right. for a lot of states, and a lot of states didn't have a session. And when we look at the uh, trends and analysis report, we see that while there were many fewer bills, as you might expect with fewer states meeting, the percentages of the different categories seem pretty similar. It's so interesting. So there were there were a little more than half, 713 bills signed into law in 2013, 430, probably a little bit north of 430 at this point because some of the legislatures are still active. But even with that reduced number of bills, if you plot sort of the frequency, right, within the, each of these 10 policy categories, that sort of frequency of policy category is the same. Uh, so fewer numbers, but the same level of activity uh, in regulatory, for example, or the same level of activity in economic development. Um, a few things might be causing this. One, that might just sort of be the stack rank of how legislatures view energy policy, what they're most interested in, what they think has the most impact. And it might be that we never see energy efficiency you know, uh, overtake regulatory in terms of frequency. We haven't seen it yet. Um, But also, and we talked about this last time, there are a a large number of states that allow legislation to be carried over to an even year from an odd year. So a bill introduced in 13 could remain active in 2014. And we think some of this sort of similar trend is a function of those bills remaining active for two years. So let's dive into some of these different categories. Uh, you know, the first one we can talk about is electricity generation. The, the uh, biggest uh, piece of that pie uh, was uh, renewable portfolio standards. And I think a lot of people hear about renewable portfolio standards, particularly from the context of defensive attacks on renewable portfolio standards around the right, country. Right. In reality, we had 14 bills that passed last year related to renewable portfolio standards. Two of those were rollbacks, two actually increased RPSs, and 10 of them modified existing RPSs in one way or another. Right, so Maine and South Carolina were the two states that increased their RPS. 
Maine increased it in the sense that they have a new carve out now for solar energy. South Carolina uh, is a completely new state to the uh, RPS map. Uh, they have a voluntary renewable portfolio standard that's really focused on distributed generation. But you're right, the, the bulk of legislation, and we've seen this in years past, r around renewable portfolio standards is to not necessarily increase them or to decrease them, but to modify their rules in some way. Allow some new technology to be uh, an eligible resource technology. Uh, extend a deadline, right? Those sorts of sort of tweaks to existing policies. We saw a lot of bills related to solar energy, and then also we saw seven bills pass that are associated with net metering. So net metering continues to be uh, a focus of legislatures around the country. I think we're going to see that again this Very year, topic. and we're going to spend February on this podcast talking about net metering. Whole month on net whole metering. Whole month. Whole month on net metering. Oh, net metering fans out there. <laughs> In emissions, uh, moving on to the next category here. Uh, Really, the, the biggest single category of activity was around Clean Air Act legislation. And this is state Clean Air Act legislation. So uh, statutes dealing with uh, Title V permits for electric generating units, uh, statutes dealing with existing source performance standards. Uh, it's worth noting that a lot of this legislation was introduced and some of it was even signed before EPA released the draft rule under uh, Section 111D for existing generating units uh, on June 2nd. So a lot of this activity was sort of, sort of already going by then. So the draft rule, as you mentioned, was released in June of 2014. We're going to see the final rule June of 2015, and then it's going to really be in the hands of states to implement that rule. I think we'll probably see some activity around uh, that coming up in the Certainly. 2015 session and then also in the 2016 session. It's also worth noting there were six states Oklahoma and Nebraska were two of them that passed legislation requiring some level of climate adaptation, climate study, uh, those sorts of things. So not necessarily having to do with the Clean Air Act, but the state preparedness for climate change. So the next category is financing, financial incentives. Half of these bills are tax incentive bills. They are, and, and we group them uh, as financing uh, policies. One could maybe argue that uh, they're not sort of true financing programs, but they do reduce the, uh, the total cost of, a, of an energy efficiency or a renewable energy device or even an alternative vehicle, as the case in many states. Uh, and that was a similar trend from last year, a very high level of tax incentives, tax credits, tax rebates for clean energy technologies. Yeah, this is something that we've seen year after year. Uh, financing uh, bills are a, a large segment of the energy bills that are introduced. A lot of this is related to uh, the fact that traditional energy is generally purchased by the utility in, in you know, a large bulk sure. purchase and people pay for it over time. It's sort of it's financed just through the system, right? But as we look at investments from businesses, investments by consumers in energy efficiency or in distributed energy technologies, renewable energy technologies, they're then um, assuming that burden of the upfront cost. And so there's a real interest by states to try and uh, provide some sort of a financing avenue so that becomes more affordable. Exactly. Regulatory is uh, something of a catch-all category as we define it. And it's really any legislation that would change the, uh, the uh, statute or the mandate or the, the way of operating for a regulatory body. So that could include a public utilities commission. It could include uh, an oil and gas conservation commission for 
upstream and midstream regulation of the natural gas industry. It's really anything that impacts any of those regulatory bodies. Um, what we've seen in general is that legislatures tend to want to expand the authority. So give more authority, broaden the statute, broaden the mandate of these regulatory bodies with respect to clean energy. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, as we've mentioned before on the show, this is sort of a changing landscape for utilities, for our public utilities commissions. And a lot of times those public utilities commissions are looking for a little bit of a of leadership from legislatures to say, do you really want us to start going into this, you know, looking at an entirely new business model? Right. Or looking at, you know, tr sort of changing the focus, the traditional focus of a commission into looking more forward and uh, trying to drive innovation and uh, investment in the utility system. There were two uh, omnibus bills mm -hmm. this year that fall under that regulatory uh, classification in Minnesota and in Connecticut. Minnesota's was interesting because uh, it uh, related to everything from low-income heat uh, home energy assistance program to uh, interconnection of renewable energy, also electric vehicle charging tariffs. So, very, you know, really trying to take on some of these new issues uh, that re regulatory commissions are facing. I know, Tom, that we're going to spend an entire month on the changing utility business model, utility revenue models, uh, and so I look forward to that. I think we'll dive into regulatory in more detail uh, in the coming months. And the next category is energy efficiency. We saw a little less activity in energy efficiency this year, uh, but we still saw 23 bills across the country pass. A lot of these had to do with uh, a couple things. One is energy performance contracting. We saw legislation in Mississippi and also in Colorado to expand energy performance contracting. Those are large companies that invest in uh, efficiency upgrades for large users. They call it the mush market, the municipal university schools and hospitals <laughs> sort of market. Um, and then and then the entity pays back those investments in, in equipment the, over time. Through the guaranteed savings. Right, right through the saving, the energy savings. Um, and uh, then we also saw a lot of activity in uh, PACE programs. So property assessed clean energy programs. There was a real expansion uh, of these. We saw about seven or eight years ago um, a proliferation of PACE bills around the residential sector. I think 35 states passed uh, residential pace, uh, right. yeah. uh, PACE bills. There was a letter from the Federal Housing Finance Administration that sort of slowed down and, and, and stopped the activity of a lot of those programs. But this year, uh, as we've seen the last couple of years, we've seen uh, growing activity in C-PACE or commercial PACE. Yeah, that residential PACE sort of policy concern was really around the, the primary and secondary lien holders and really uh, put a lot of uncertainty into the market. On commercial PACE, I think we saw most activity was around modifying existing commercial PACE legislation. So changing the, the, the customers that were eligible, changing the target uh, markets, etc. Uh, but, you know, it, it's unfortunate that energy efficiency is, was, again, the least common policy category among state legislatures. It's the first fuel, it's the least cost resource, it's the megawatt, and yet it's still <laughs> it's really It's a thing not, everybody likes. It's still not very popular. Um, Gets no respect. And in fact, in Indiana, it did get no respect because they actually eliminated that's true. Their, their energy efficiency goal. So that was, that was the first EERS rollback that we've seen in states around the country, energy efficiency resource standards. First time we've seen uh, a standard actually eliminated in Indiana. So that was certainly significant. 
And uh, natural gas development natural could gases. be more of an opposite story, right? Like huge, <laughs> huge amount of activity here. A lot uh, of interest. In na natural gas development uh, from the taxation of natural gas on the extraction side, the taxation of natural gas on the downstream side. Uh, not surprisingly, states looking to sort of build revenue for state budgets. Uh, but also in uh, split a state. Uh, you know, this issue, Tom, that that's, tends to be more common in uh, Western states, although it's a national issue of, uh, in the case where you might own the surface right to a, a parcel of land, and I might own the subsurface or mineral right to that parcel of land, uh, and I want to develop my mineral right, how do I compensate you for access on your land? What am I sort of required to do to be a steward of that land? And where do my rights begin and end, and, and the same with yours? Big, other, big issue. Absolutely, and it's a huge issue all over the country. The other piece of this is where are the jurisdictional uh, authorities, right? Because this, this permitting and, and siting right. has traditionally been uh, a local government issue, but in the, in the case of extraction, a lot of times that is managed by a state regulatory agency. So uh, the state has a certain regulatory role, but the local governments feel that they should have a certain regulatory role in this whole process as well. So we saw a lot of bills related to local impacts and, and local control. No question, hydraulic uh, fracturing and uh, horizontal drilling are sort of opening new markets to states that didn't previously have a resource or regions of states that didn't previously have a resource. We, so we see a lot of activity there. Uh, it's worth noting, North Carolina lifted their state moratorium on hydraulic fracturing this year. And I'd also mention that at aeltracker.org under trends and analysis, there's a whole paper on natural gas policies, looking at these different components of natural gas policies around the country. And so anybody who wants to delve deeply into natural gas policy is a great resource for you. The other category is uh, transportation. So we've seen a reduction in uh, gas tax revenues with higher efficiency vehicles. Uh, most of these gas taxes are based on volume purchased. So as you get uh, vehicles purchasing less and less, we might see that change now with lower uh, gas prices coming coming online. But uh, uh, last year, we certainly saw a decline in gas tax revenues, and we saw legislatures respond by uh, expanding gas tax uh, uh, revenues to alternative fuel vehicles, natural gas vehicles, and electric vehicles. Yeah, right. At the beginning of this calendar year, there was certainly a concern that uh, Congress would uh, not address the uh, expected shortfall in the Federal Highway Trust Fund. And so states were active in trying to propose ways to make up for that shortfall. But as you mentioned, also uh, uh, creating an equivalency is really where, where it came down to on natural gas, fuel especially. Um, gasoline has a higher uh, energy content per unit volume than natural gas, and so how do you uh, equate the two fuels from a taxation uh, basis? That was a very common policy. And a lot around the infrastructure, right? This sort of chicken and the egg problem with alternative transportation of uh, do you wait for a high level of vehicle ownership and adoption to build the infrastructure, or do you build the infrastructure first and, uh, and hope, that the, hope that the market will come? And so uh, the other focus, in addition to taxation, was around this fueling uh, and, and infrastructure. Yep, trying to drive that electric vehicle uh, uptake. We also saw, can't, not, can't go without mentioning Nevada. They did actually convene when they don't normally convene in That's an even-numbered right. year. They convened to pass four bills. It was uh, an area of great bipartisan cooperation and support where they passed four bills to support Tesla's big gigafactory.
just outside of Reno, a lithium-ion battery factory. Uh, four pieces of legislation there for a session that was uh, uh, normally would not occur in an even year. Um, and so I would say uh, definitely a, a high level of activity in transportation policy. Uh, in economic development, sort of the, the final of the 10 policies, um, states tended to focus on, uh, one, educating their workforce, uh, the unemployed and the recent, uh, recent graduates and sort of finding places for them in the clean energy marketplace. Uh, incentives for businesses, uh, you know, we talked about the, the, the uh, example of Nevada and, and really this, this uh, competition among states sure. to attract clean energy businesses and manufacturing. Um, and so passing new legislation to create grant programs and incentive programs for new businesses, but also R&D. And this is something that wasn't really there as much in 2013, states focusing on uh, the use of uh, state funds to promote not only the R&D of clean tech, but the sort of market transformation into the more D&D, design and demonstration side of pilot projects, getting technologies out of the laboratory and, and demonstrating them, uh, real steel on the ground sort of thing. Yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that in 2015 as well. We saw in Utah, Senate Bill 263, that extended their commercialization innovation program out to try and attract uh, investment in, in new energy technologies. So that was a quick look back at 2014. You can see the entire uh, trends paper uh, at policypodcast.com, or you can go to aeltracker.org, where we have a variety of different policy papers there, or you can also track legislation uh, as it moves throughout the country. You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Plant. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Thanks a lot for listening.